You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Uh, today, speaking of Christmas, today we're going to be starting a new Advent sermon series. So we're taking a break from our, our sermon series through Colossians. We're starting a new Ad- Advent sermon series where we'll be attempting to tackle the question, why Christmas? And, and I assure you that the answer will be more than just to celebrate the birth of Christ Jesus. And yet, I assure you that at the same time, the only answer to that question, without a doubt, can be to celebrate the birth of Christ Jesus. And so what I'm saying is, is that the answer to this que- that question, why Christmas, is both simple and yet complex, both down-to-earth and yet wonderful, both mind-blowing and yet comforting, both attainable and yet mysterious, straightforward and yet paradoxical, humbling yet joyful, life-altering and yet life-saving. So it's going to be good. To that end, what, what the answer to that question certainly isn't is all the ways that our culture today would, would answer that question of what Christmas is all about. You know, our, our people, our neighbors or, or movies we listen to or songs we listen to might say things like, Christmas is all about how we get to decorate our homes with colorful lights and most importantly, fill our front lawns with as many Santa Claus and Minion inflatables as possible. I, I just don't, I don't get that. Anyways, no offense if you do that. Um, or, or people might say, you know, Christmas is about creating a warm, comfy, Pinterest-worthy aesthetic in our homes with pine-scented candles and perfectly hung stockings just to create that feeling. Or people might say Christmas is about when Santa Claus comes to town. Or people might say Christmas is about getting and, and, and receiving presents. Or Christmas is about giving. In other words, it's the time of the year when we empty our bank accounts and go into debt. Or some might say Christmas is about tradition and spending time with friends and family, eating food and giving thanks. Though I'm pretty sure that's Thanksgiving, right? Um, or some might say Christmas is, about, is a time where you fall in love. And I'm also pretty sure that's actually Valentine's Day. Though... More specifically, some would say Christmas is about how young, independent women like to move to small towns to restart their life and careers, and then unexpectedly fall in love with a man who, unbeknownst to her, is actually a prince from a small country no one has ever heard of, and after becoming engaged, she's initially rejected by his family, causing a rift in their relationship, only to win them over in the end because of her silly charm and ultimately in the name of true love. Whew. That's what Christmas is about, right? That, that's what Hallmark movies would tell us. There's like over a dozen of those, you know. A few, maybe more. Anyways, don't get me wrong. Of course, of course there, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with spending time with family over Christmas or falling in love or or putting up decorations, or exchanging gifts, or giving generously, especially to, to charities, and, and all that other stuff I mentioned. But, but those aren't the answers to the question, 
of what Christmas is all about, even though that's what many of our neighbors and, and the Christmas songs we listen to are proclaiming. The, the cartoon character, Charlie Brown, said it best to his friend Linus after everyone around him kept telling him that the answer to what Christmas was all about was found in all of those commercialized things or aesthetically manufactured feelings. When he said, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? So we're going to try to help Charlie Brown out this morning. Speaking of presents, though, you know, as I was preparing my message this week, I, I, I realized that out of this whole congregation, so far only two of you have actually asked for my Christmas list. Those two people being my wife and my mom. So all I'm saying is that if that's something that slipped your mind in the busyness of the season, no hard feelings, I have the digital document ready to go. Just let me know. Just say the word. No, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But, but like many of you, I'm sure, when Christmas rolls around, I can't help but be reminded of, of my childhood and, and all those agonizing days leading up to Christmas morning, having to, to stare at the presents that were under the tree day after day, waiting for weeks to unwrap them, each day becoming filled with more and more wonder and, and anticipation, yearning to uncover the, the mystery of what could be inside them. And then finally on Christmas morning, the day would come, the day would arrive, the, the pristinely wrapped boxes would be handed to me by my parents only to be instantly and just utterly destroyed and ripped apart by my eager and impatient hands, initiating the great and wondrous reveal I'd been waiting for for so long. And, and in a way, that this is a good, well, admittedly underwhelming metaphor for one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas. Because in a similar way, it, it, was, a, it was a moment that the weary world had been agonizingly and hopefully waiting in anticipation for, for thousands of years. A moment that, as it says in the Bible, that the prophets and the righteous both proclaimed and longed to understand and to see and to hear. A moment which the angels rejoiced in and the wise men journeyed afar to, to witness. A moment when, as the Apostle Paul writes, the mystery of God, hidden for ages and generations, was finally unveiled and revealed to his saints. In other words, it was a moment of unprecedented divine revelation. That glorious yet simple moment when the baby boy who would be named Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Barely anyone noticed at the time. And yet, that was the moment in which the God of creation broke into the world in order to proclaim to the world this is who I am. Wow. This is what Christmas is all about. It's about divine revelation. It's about the advent or, or, or arrival of the invisible God making himself visibly known. And this, this is why Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
In other words, he came to make the, the fullness of the transcendent and holy God known to a world that didn't know him, to, to reveal and to display the character, truth, nature, and love of the Almighty Father in a greater and more personal way than ever before. As, as it says in John 1, 14 and 18, you can read all of John 1 to get the full picture, but this morning we're going to read 14 and, verses 14 and 18, which says about Jesus, the Word, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is is the physical and yet divine revelation of the invisible God. He is the word of God become flesh. Theologian Daniel Milio writes, The revelation of God is decisively embodied in Jesus Christ. He is God's light in the world of darkness. In him, God has been reliably and definitively revealed. Again, Christmas is about divine revelation. Quite often, though, I think when we use the word revelation as Christians, our, our minds immediately to, to begin thinking about the book of Revelation, right? And so we start thinking about the end times and all those things. But I just, want to be, I just want to clarify, that's not what we're talking about this morning. Revelation isn't just about the end times, though what John experienced and wrote down was a revelation of God's final justice and renewing work through Jesus Christ when he comes again, which we all hope for, hence the title, Revelation. He had a revelation. And to that end, when we speak of revelation, it's referring to the unveiling of something substantial, a truth that that was previously mysterious uh, mysterious or or hidden, something divine which opens our eyes and causes us to understand and see God, the world, and ourselves in a new way. Um, Milior again writes it like this. He says, the revelation of God is not just one more item of information in our store of knowledge not just one of the many things we know or think we know. When God is revealed, everything is seen in a new light. It has to do with a, <clears throat> excuse me. It has to do with a knowledge of God and ourselves that is utterly surprising and disturbing. It is an event that shakes us to the core. It offers us a glimpse of the very heart of mystery but it also demands a kind of death because it turns upside down the lives of the people who receive it. And and to that end, William Abraham writes, once one acknowledges the revelation, then everything may have to be rethought and redescribed in the light of what has been rediscovered. So divine revelation isn't just new information. It's something that, that changes us and changes how we see everything else. Think of Saul. 
<clears throat> as he was traveling down, down the road to Damascus to go persecute more Christians there, when, when, he, when, when suddenly his whole life was just interrupted and turned upside down as a light from heaven flashed around him and Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, spoke to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? From that point on, Saul, who would come to be known as, more as Paul, could only see the world and scripture and God himself and everything else through that lens of the reality and glory of Jesus Christ. That is divine revelation. When God reveals a formerly hidden aspect of himself, of his truth and his glory, and it changes us, and subsequently the way we see everything. And one of the ways that, that divine revelation constantly occurs in our lives is actually through what uh, theologians call general revelation. That is, when, when God reveals himself through the world and through creation, even in our own consciences. Psalm 19.1 reflects this when it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And in Romans 1.19-20, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, <clears throat> because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So to observe creation and even to study it scientifically and, and artistically is to see the works of God. We discover a creator who is intelligent and loving and awesome. And of course, on the flip side of that is that the more we know God, the more we'll be aware of and in awe of his handiwork in creation. So, so that's called general revelation. <clears throat> but the thing is, is that while general revelation can inform us that God exists, it doesn't really tell us who he is or what his will is or who we are to him, right? And, and sure, we can speculate about who he is, but at the end of the day, we, we actually need God to tell us or we're going to get it wrong. Usually making God in, in our own image or in the image of something in creation, hence the amount of idolatry, atheism, alien conspiracies, and false religions in the world that are based on science, intelligent design, theories, and nature, and, and all those things, right? So again, we need God to actually tell us who he is and who we are to him. And this is where the term special revelation comes into play. So special revelation is a term that refers to the moments when God reveals his will and his character through his word. In other words, when God speaks, when God tells us who he is. One form of special revelation, then, is the Bible, the divinely inspired word of God, which is our primary and authoritative source of knowledge concerning who God is and who we are to him. God speaks through Scripture, through the living word. Of course, the Bible also conveys to us specific moments of special revelation throughout history when God spoke to others by his word and revealed something about himself, right? Like, like when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush or when he writes his law on the tablets or, or when an angel speaks to Mary and Joseph or like when he wrestles with Jacob or, or when he spoke his word through the prophets. All moments of, of special revelation, but yet while those were powerful moments of God's word, 
revealing something about himself. They, they were all just glimpses of God's nature and glory and purpose. Which is why the pinnacle moment of special revelation, the moment which all those other moments were leading up to, a moment which turns the world upside down, a moment which causes all who acknowledge it to view everything in a new light, occurred in the birth and subsequent ministry of Jesus Christ. It changed everything. In that moment, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The invisible was made visible. Another way to say it is that the revelation of God became flesh. And this was the way God, in his goodness and in his love, chose to show and proclaim to the world who he is. Jesus came to be his perfect image bearer and imprint of his nature, but not just as a messenger like the prophets or like angels, but rather as God incarnate. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says it like this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is, is the manifestation of the word of God. To, to put it simply, to know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to know God. Or rather, if we want to know who God is, we only have to look to Jesus. When we see the Son, we see the Father. And that's the whole point of Christmas. When we see the Son, we see the Father. In the birth of Jesus Christ, God the Father is declaring to the world that he wants us to know him. That, that's incredible. In the birth of Jesus Christ, God the Father is declaring to the world that he wants us to know him. This is exactly what Jesus tells us in John 14, 6 to 7. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. To know Jesus is to know God as Father. To see Jesus is to see God. In fact, it's more than that even because he's also the only way to know God, the only way to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He not only reveals God and his truth to us, but he's also the way to God. And, and he gave us a way through the cross where he defeated sin and death through his own death and resurrection. He humbled himself to become man so that he could take the wages of mankind's sin upon himself in our place as our perfect sinless sacrifice. And this is significant, of course, because it, it was our very sinful nature which separated us from knowing the holy God. But now, by the grace and victory of Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled with him. And reconciliation, that's another word or concept we're going to be celebrating this season in a couple of weeks. Basically, it means brought back into relationship with God, right? So ultimately what I'm saying is, is that if anyone wants to know and understand God, 
then yes, they can find glimpses and, and hints of, of the mystery of his reality in creation and, and in prophecy. But to know him truly, to know him personally, to abide in his love and to know his will, one must look to learn from and place their faith in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians 2, 2 to 3 says this, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the mystery of God, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as it says, are revealed in Jesus Christ. He's the revelation of God. For only in him, as it also says in Colossians, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. And only through him can we receive forgiveness of sins so that we can be reconciled with the Father. Jesus both reveals God and he gave us a way to know God. So with all that being said, let's come back to the question, why Christmas? In other words, what's so great about the birth of Jesus? Well, the list is endless, to be honest. But this morning, I want to highlight that overarching yet important and and life-changing truth that we've been addressing this morning. And I want to encourage you with it, which is this. Jesus' birth is a divine proclamation that God wants us to know him and he wants us to be known by him. He's not hiding somewhere He's not elusive. He's not indifferent. He's not some puzzle that has to be solved. No, he humbly came into creation, into this fallen world of sinners, born as a helpless baby so that the world could see him and know him. He came to us. And and that's part of the paradox of Christmas, right? That the God of the universe the God who created the universe, came into the world as a baby in order to dwell with us. That's that's mind-blowing. But again, that's what divine revelation does. It changes the way we see and understand everything. More specifically, what Jesus' birth reveals about God is that he's a God who reveals, is that he's, he's a God who pursues us, a God who speaks a God who loves, a God who listens, a God who relates, a God who gives, a God who is personal, a God who is present, and a God who saves. John 3, 16 to 17. Most of us know these verses. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So again, God sent Jesus into the world to save it and bring eternal life. Well, what's eternal life? John 17, 3 tells us, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So why was Jesus born? 
so that through knowing him, we could know the only true God. God sent Jesus to us so we could know him. Of course, this means more than just simply knowing things about him. That's certainly part of it, but primarily it's about knowing him intimately in in a familial or relational sense, right? As a trustworthy friend, as a faithful father, as comforter and counselor, as Lord and as Savior. And secondly, it's about knowing him in a way that, again, turns our lives upside down that causes us to both see everything in a new light and to live differently in accordance with his will and and displaying his image, which he's revealed to us. As uh, C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Again, to have a, a revelation of God through Jesus Christ, is to change the way we see and view and understand everything else. It's, it's a paradigm shift. It's like someone with poor vision and astigmatism putting on glasses for the first time. And then, boom, they see everything in a new way. But let's be honest. God, God is so wonderfully infinite and awesome that our finite minds could never grasp the fullness of who he is. That's okay. As as Scripture says, we see in a mirror dimly until we see God fully in eternity. But yet, the good news is that he's revealed more than enough of himself through his creation, through his word, and ultimately through Jesus, that frankly, we're without excuse, as it says in Romans. We're without excuse. There's, There's so much evidence for God. We just have to be willing to humbly accept and believe that the mystery was revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the thing. Because that's how he chose to reveal himself, and so that's how we have to find him. We're not going to find him any other way except through Jesus. Bottom line, though, is that God can be known because God has made himself known. God can be known because God has made himself known. And, and, and if I can be blunt, in, in my mind, I think a lot of the time, for, for anyone who thinks there's no God, most likely has the same mindset as King Herod did in the, the story of, of Christmas after Jesus' birth, who had all the male children under two in Bethlehem brutally killed. Why? In the hopes that one of them was Jesus. All because he didn't want to give up his throne. He wanted Jesus killed because he didn't want to give up his throne. And I'm not saying everyone who doesn't believe in God is a murderer. I'm saying that the people who deny God, a lot of the time, don't do it because there isn't enough evidence. They do it because of pride. Because they just don't want God to exist. Because accepting that God exists will upset their lives. It'll turn it upside down. But yet, anyone who's experienced this life change, this rebirth, if you will, would tell you that they wouldn't have it any other way. To know God through Jesus Christ is to know the truth, and to know the truth is to be set free. 
Furthermore, everyone who believes in Jesus' name by faith is filled with the Holy Spirit, whose primary purpose is to lead us into the truth and, and to help us understand it and live by it, to illuminate the word of God in our minds and also in our hearts. This is the extent of the Apostle Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus, which I'm going to read from Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. He says to them, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? And so as I close this morning, this is, this is my prayer as well for us this Christmas season. That as we ponder Jesus' birth, and, and what it means and what it reveals to us about who God is and who we are to him, that the Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see so that we can grasp it in a new way. And in doing so, that we would be forever changed, that the Lord would turn our lives upside down, that as we encounter Jesus and grow in the knowledge of him through his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit, we'd know him more deeply and more assuredly transforming our lives for his glory. That we would know God because Jesus has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that we can come to you in prayer like we're doing right now. That we can, we can stand in your presence. That we can know you that we can know about you, that we can be in relationship with you, that we can grow in the knowledge of who you are because you have revealed yourself, because you have sent your one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us, to make a way for us. So Lord, in this Christmas season, as we, as we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate the light that has shone in the darkness, as we celebrate the, the mystery that was revealed in Jesus Christ, Lord God, I pray that you would fill our, our hearts and our minds with the knowledge of who you are in a greater way, in a more personal way than we've ever experienced before, Lord God. And that in turn, you would, you would turn our lives upside down, Lord. That we would grow more mature in the faith and, and with more zeal to live for you and display your light in this world that so desperately needs it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.